0: On this fourth Sunday of Advent, our scripture lesson comes to us from Luke's biography of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the first chapter with verse 26. Would you please read along as I read aloud. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. 2,000 years ago when Christianity was in its infancy the first Christians including the disciples who had known Jesus personally went around proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth a man condemned by the religious Establishment and put to death by the Romans was not simply a wandering prophet or an inspired teacher But in fact he was God's anointed Savior the long-awaited Messiah And even though he had been crucified and killed, God had raised him from the dead and and lifted him up into his presence in heaven. The proclamation of the early church began with a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the miracle that the first Christians proclaimed. On the day of Pentecost, The disciple Peter declared that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But, and that is such an important word here in the gospel, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The disciples were claiming that a miracle had taken place that Jesus of Nazareth had been killed, but that he had been raised from the dead by God. To the first believers, the reports of Jesus' resurrection were nothing less than magical. Some would call it a myth, some would call it fantasy, others just called it miraculous. Peter and the other disciples proclaimed that Jesus' remarkable life was nothing less than extraordinary punctuated by event after event of supernatural power. Part of their testimony was an appeal to the miracles of Jesus, of which there seemed to be common knowledge. Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He was saying, Jesus was a man of miracles. And you know this, you've heard this. Because they had. They had heard of Jesus's miracles. He was famous for them. Turning water into wine, walking on water, calming the storm, casting out demons, feeding thousands, restoring sight to the blind, healing the lame, cleansing lepers, raising the dead back to life. Peter was saying, you have heard all of this. These things happened. That you can verify for yourselves. You don't need to believe me. Go ask your neighbors. Maybe many of you have even seen these things. But ask your friends. Ask your family members. Ask your neighbors. Peter's point was that Jesus had lived a miraculous life. Through miracles, God had proven Christ's supernatural power and purpose over and over again. And then, on Easter morning, In the miracle of miracles, God had raised Jesus from the dead. Many years later, when Matthew and Luke wrote their biographies of Jesus' life, we call them the Gospels, they set out to explain who Jesus was and where he came from by telling the story behind the story. And one of the things that they wanted to do was to show that his miraculous life began with a miraculous birth. Not only was Jesus' life full of miracles, punctuated by miracles, but he was also born in a miracle. The story begins with an angel named Gabriel and a young woman named Mary. And the angel appeared to Mary saying, greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And then the Bible says that she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That may be the epitome of understatement. She was greatly troubled by this saying. That's a very nonchalant way of saying that it scared the heck out of her. She was freaked out. Modern commentators try to portray Mary as this stalwart recipient of the angelic visit without fear, without trembling. But who in their right mind would not be startled by such a glorious, supernatural presence? You know, too often we pass over this moment of shock and awe, like it's no big deal. And you know why? It's because somewhere along the line, we stopped taking God seriously. And we began to think of him like Santa Claus, as a plump, white-bearded, jolly old elf who sits in the mall, puts us on his lap, ready to indulge our every whim. But Gabriel was no pointy-eared Christmas elf. This angel was a servant of the Most High God, ancient beyond reckoning, powerful beyond rational description. This is the messenger of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God who sculpted the mountains of the earth and laid low the greatest empires of the history of men. This was not a character who checks to see who's been naughty or nice. This is the God who will judge the living and the dead. A God who must be taken seriously. You know, I think about the time When the apostle John or the prophet Isaiah, the holiest man of his time, saw God for the first time, who fell on his face in the light of God's power, saying, Woe unto me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. The person without fear before the living God is a person without humility. But the angel responded, do not be afraid, for God is with you. Understand what's saying here in this interchange. That power that you feared and rightly feared is on your side. God loves you. And he has singled you out for a universe-changing purpose. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and not just any son, but the son of the most high God, whom you shall name Jesus. But you know, as awestruck as she was, Mary was no ignorant primitive. She wasn't some fool, as some people like to suggest. She was not just some Some young person who had no more sense than to question this, even in the awe and the fear and the presence of the angel of the Lord, Mary's intelligence was sober. Because when Mary was told that she would conceive a child, she said to the angel, wait a minute, how can this be since I've never been with a man? I mean, Mary understood the birds and the bees. And if I might use a bit of anachronism, Mary is shown to have asked the question, that a modern, scientific, rational person would ask, how is this possible? And the angel's answer? With God, nothing is impossible. And with that statement, the whole idea of the Christmas miracle was born. That that which seems irrational, extraordinary, incredible, Supernatural, even impossible, is possible with God. You know, there are two aspects of the Christmas story that I absolutely love. The first is that the Christmas story challenges our really very limited view of reality. This story makes us wonder to ourselves if there is, in fact, more to reality than meets the eye? Is there really more mystery, more purpose, more magic? Even people who don't consider themselves particularly religious tolerate the ideas of angels and miracles around Christmas. Each year, we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. And with these words, we declare that a supernatural, all-knowing, all-powerful God, someone wholly different and utterly unlike us, became like us, so that we could know Him. I will tell you now, and this will not change as long as I stand in this pulpit. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in it not only as a theological truth, but as a biological truth. Now, I know that there are also people in this room who think that the Christmas story is a nice story, but that's all. It's just a myth. It didn't really happen. It couldn't really happen because it doesn't fit our scientific mechanical view that we have imposed on the world. I mean, after all, how can educated, scientific, 21st century really believe in all that stuff? Well, the truth is, science has never been an enemy of God. The only times that science has ever been an enemy of faith is when arrogant men have tried to use it as a way to limit rather than expand our knowledge. The fact is that the material world is not as static or as closed as people would like to believe. Cambridge physicist John Pokinghorn once wrote that a realistic interpretation of the epistemological unpredictabilities of chaotic systems leads to the hypothesis of an ontological openness within which new causal principles may be held to be operating, which determine the pattern of future behavior, and which are of a holistic character. Here we see a glimmer of how it might be that God exercises providential interaction with creation. I think this is what he means. (laughs) That the working of the universe is more wonderful And more miraculous than we have been led to believe that's how a scientist says that he believes in miracles you know when people ask me how i can believe in miracles like the virgin birth i point them to the scientists that i know and know well who are believers Dr. Bob Folger, who was one of the directors of the nuclear lab in the Savannah River site for decades. Dr. Carl Fleermans, who discovered Legionella and the, disease, and the cure for Legionnaire's disease. Both men I know well and personally. And you know, one of the great comforts in my life is I can always say, Yeah, I don't understand the math. I don't understand the science, but these guys do. Go talk to them. You know, it's not just great scientists in history who have been believers. But contemporary believers like Francis Collins, the former director of the Human Genome Project, who said, by investigating God's majestic and awesome creation, science can actually be a means of worship. Or believers like Henry Schaefer, the Grand Purdue Professor of Chemistry and Director of the Center for Computational Quantum Chemistry at the University of Georgia. The significance and joy in my science comes in those occasional moments of discovering something new and saying to myself, so that's how God did it. You know, the Christmas story challenges even the skeptic to ask, is this really all there is? Do we really have it all nailed down such that we can explain everything scientifically? Are there really no mysteries left There's no room for miracles. Truth be told, the more we learn, the more we realize how much we do not know. Can we prove it? Can we explain it? Can we manipulate it all? Or at some point do we have to step back in humility and confess that there is indeed much that we do not understand, which may nevertheless be true? Like us, the first believers had to wrestle with some things that are very real, but that they did not understand. Events like angels speaking to young women, God becoming man, Jesus dying for our sins, and then rising from the dead. They had to consider that there are some things in this universe that are just bigger than we are, and yet nothing is impossible with God. But finally, I think one of the most powerful lessons of the Christmas story is here that we have a great example of a God using an ordinary person to do something extraordinary. Nobody who knew Mary would have expected that she would become the heroine of the ages. I don't mean to say that she had a rocky or a tainted past, but she was young. She was a girl which didn't mean much in that culture she was from the boondocks she had no status or position she had no distinction at least that's how human secular materialistic eyes would judge her and i'm sure even mary was thinking hey lord couldn't you find somebody more qualified than me to do this But obviously the eyes that see everything the eyes that are not satisfied with surface judgments but look straight into the heart saw something different and this sweet innocent village girl became an unexpected heroine the lesson of this story about mary and the angel is to show that god Does not choose the powerful. Rather, he empowers those that he chooses. I think that the reason that we need the Christmas story is because we need to know that God can still do the impossible and he can still use. Ordinary people to do it. The Christmas story is about how God uses ordinary people and ordinary things, even crude and broken things, like the stable and the manger, to do amazing things. God takes what is overlooked by the world and empowers it. A farm girl named Mary, a carpenter named Joseph, the manger, Bethlehem, shepherds. The Christmas stories were written for the first believers who were wrestling with the fact that there are just some things that are very real but we don't understand. Who are wrestling with the fact that this universe is huge beyond comprehension. And yet there is a God who loves you and knows your name. One of the most pressing, anxiety-causing questions for this young church, for this young group of Jesus followers was how do you live when you're Christian? How do you live as a Christian when your friends, when your neighbors, when your coworkers, your customers, when your your clients, even your family doesn't believe what you believe? How do you live like that? What do you do? How do you live? How do you respond when everybody you know thinks that you are crazy for believing what you believe? What do you do when people ask you? How can you give your life to a dead man? Peter's answer to that question was the resurrection. This Jesus, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter's answer was this. We do not follow a dead man. We have seen a miracle, and we follow the resurrected, living Savior. God did something completely unexpected. He raised Jesus from the dead. And by raising Jesus from the dead, God took the cross, the most horrifying symbol of death that history has ever known, and he turned it into the symbol of love the likes of which man has never seen. The cross is a statement that that Christ loves us so much that he was willing to give his life for us And His resurrection proves that if God can raise someone from the dead, then there is no promise He has made to you that He cannot fulfill. In miracle after miracle, from the incarnation to the resurrection, God the Father validated and vindicated the life and teaching of Jesus, proving that God not only loves us, but that He has the power to keep His promises. Isn't that a God worth taking seriously? The point of the Christmas story was that a miracle-filled life began with a miraculous birth. If Jesus is the real Son of God, announced by angels and born of a virgin, then being raised from the dead, That doesn't sound so crazy after all. The Easter story is not so unbelievable if you know the Christmas story. And if God can use an ordinary girl like Mary, maybe He can even use a person like me. After all, with God, nothing's impossible. O Lord, we believe that with you, nothing is impossible. And we just ask you, Lord, to crucify the idea that just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it isn't true. We ask you, O Lord, to lead us into deeper truth, into greater truth. We ask you to help us to understand, O Lord, that there are no created limits on the Creator and that with you all things are possible. And Lord, as we consider how big you are and how great is your truth, help us to remember also your love, that even though your power is great and your mystery greater still, you love us and you know us by name. We are not too small either to be known or to be called by you. Oh Lord, I know that there are people here today who have questioned or who have just simply bought into the idea that that this is a myth and so too is is the proclamation that you can make a difference in our lives. But Lord... I just ask that you would open ears and open hearts today so the people will know that you really not only can, but will make a difference in their lives. It is not impossible because with you all things are possible, even the healing and freedom that you promise. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.